through the lectiverse. The unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it, we can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So during this last week, we had ceremonies over two days during which we read the whole of the scripture of Brahma's net. And we do this once a year. This, is a, this scripture is in the book, Buddhist Writings, which was translated by Reverend Master Hubert, various scriptures and writings of our tradition. And if you don't have a copy, you can find it on the, on the internet, on our website, for free download. And I strongly recommend reading the scripture of Brahma's net. It's in two parts. So on the first day, we read the first part, the foundations of training, which I'm mostly going to talk about. On the second day, we read the second part, the 58 Bodhisattva precepts. Well, it's a fairly long scripture, but its bigness is more a matter of its depth and its scope than of its length. It's really vast in its what it encompasses. And so when we read it, actually the celebrant reads it on behalf of all of us, but we don't stop every now and then and think, what does that mean? We just keep going. You just keep going right through. And you don't have time to think about it. You don't have time to think, what does that mean? You, know, you just have to keep going. And there's something really beautiful about this because the little judgmental mind thinks, wait a minute, what does that mean? Sometimes it contradicts itself. Sometimes it says one thing and then it says the other thing and then it says both things and that, you know. And you think, huh? But it's really good because you cannot figure it out. It's bigger than our little mind. And you have to just let it pour over you and through you in a certain way, just like standing under a waterfall. You know, pours over you. It's lovely. And we can study it later, and many of us do, but um, at the time, we just do it. You just do it. And there's something about letting go of that thinking mind that wants to grab onto something and figure it out. It's really helpful, because it's not bigger than our little mind. It's opening up to the flow of this vast view, actually. Big scripture. <coughs> well, listen. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> It's not easy to talk about the scripture, especially when you've got a frog in your throat. Okay. <clears throat> can see, it's not that easy to talk about the scripture because it's so big. You have to just read it, really. I can't convey the feeling of it. But my main purpose is to point out the vastness of the Dharma, actually, how big the Dharma is. Think of the four bodhisattva vows. They're all huge, you know. However innumerable beings may be, I vow to say them all. However inexhaustible the passions are, my passions, I vow to transform them all. However, however limitless the Dharma may be, I vow to comprehend it completely. To understand the Dharma, to understand that scripture, to understand the teachings of the Buddha, all the immeasurable things that he talks about and that we understand or we try to understand and practice. And then however infinite the Buddha's truth is, I vow to realize it. These are all vast, bigger than we can actually do. So however limitless the Dharma may be, I vow to comprehend it completely. 
even though my little mind can't possibly figure it out, I will make it my own. I'll make it as a, I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself, which we just recited. So we can only open ourselves up to it and do our best. Our little brain is not going to help us a whole lot. It helps a bit, but there's something much deeper and bigger than what our little brain can figure out. And with that, this scripture is full of practical advice that we can follow. We can do it, actually. It's not just for Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. They don't need it. You know. It's for us, ordinary, imperfect beings who don't know a whole lot and are trying to do our best. We can do it. And there are, in this scripture, there are steps that we can follow. There's the ten decisions, the ten attitudes that nourish our training, the ten commitments, and the ten stages of a bodhisattva. Well, actually, the ten stages of a bodhisattva are beyond, I have to say, beyond myself at least. I can read them, but I have not understood them. But the other things, well, actually, even that, maybe we can, you can get a little toehold and say, hey, maybe I can do a bit of this. The other things, many of them are things we actually do anyway. Meditation, practicing kindness and compassion, generosity, faith, offering merit to other beings, you know, lots of things that we actually already do in our practice. So it's not really as far beyond us as we might think. And it's often like this. The Avatamsaka scripture is a huge, massive thing full of realms of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and massive things written by a whole array of people. It couldn't have been by one person. And yet, it's full of practical advice that we can follow. And if it wasn't, the Dharma wouldn't be much use to us if we couldn't actually put it into practice in our own little daily life. You know? So it's something we can do. So we don't have to be intimidated by um, the massiveness of the Dharma. It opens us up. Ah, we can launch ourselves out into it. That's the thing. It's not to be um, frightened off or to say, oh, this is for other people, it's not for me. But it's actually, I can do that. I can practice meditation. I can do this. For example, talking about meditation, you know, we think, oh, yes, I'm doing my meditation practice. I'm doing my best, you know. And then it says about meditation, when a disciple of the Buddha turns his heart toward meditation, his tranquility and cessation of defiling passions will be beyond description. And he enters into the immaculacy of emptiness. Wow, you know. Sentient beings whose minds are intent on the way do not see conditions as separate from the way, which is wonderful. Everything that we have to deal with, all the conditions of our lives, they're not separate from our training. They're not, oh, I'll get this, this, this circumstance uh, you know, out of the way and then I'll be able to train. I'll be moving to a nicer, quieter house, I'll have a better job, i have, you know. No, right in our very life now, imperfect and difficult as it may be, we can find our way, we can practice the, the Dharma, no matter what. Ordinary people, as well as saintly ones, are quite capable of entering samadhi, quite capable of doing meditation. That's us, you know. Their original nature is in accord with them all since they're using their powers of meditation. It's just so, it's just so much bigger than we think. Huge. Compassion. There's another one. You see compassion, you see, we can practice compassion. So when a disciple of the Buddha nourishes a merciful and compassionate attitude and employs a compassion which is totally empty of self and beyond description, 
it's already way beyond what we can fathom. Then, conditioned by that compassion, he practices the way to eradicate his own suffering and produce a wisdom which sees what is fundamental within the immeasurable suffering of all sentient beings. Having compassion for all sentient beings, not just being in his own little cloud by himself. Compassion for beings. Seeing what is fundamental within that. It's Buddha nature within everything. You know? And he keeps to the precepts and so on. He partakes of the wisdom of being at ease and derives joy amongst the conditions from past wrongdoings, regardless of what type of being he may be. Even in the conditions of our lives, we can find joy, which is just a wonderful, helpful thing. So these are all things that we can practice, but they're much bigger than we realize. And the scripture kind of drops us right in the deep end. You sort of think, meditation, whoa, you know, it's huge. Now, now and then, maybe more often than I remember, but I talk about how Buddhism in the West is becoming increasingly secular. I've been talking about this for years, actually. More like a self-help thing than religion, and it seems to be getting more so. A self-help thing, we can more or less control, keep it limited, fit it into our comfortable life. In a nice comfortable way, not getting it too up to make us more comfortable in that busy life we may have. We can use the bits we like and skip the bits we don't like. This is Buddhism with a little b. But when you really open up to the Dharma, it's a whole lot bigger than we are. We can't control it. It's much bigger than we are. We give ourselves to it. We don't just put it in the closet and bring it out on Sundays. We give ourselves to it completely, whether we're monks or lay trainees, practicing as deeply and truly as we can. We can do that. We can all do that. We're not just trying to be more comfortable and a little bit nicer. It's nice to be a little bit nicer and more, being a little more comfortable, okay. But it's not what we're looking for. We're looking to free ourselves from selfishness and suffering. Because selfishness causes suffering. Where there's self, there's suffering, they say. To free ourselves from our, ourselves from our selfishness, from our suffering, that we create for ourselves and others and realize the truth for ourselves. And the Dharma becomes the guide for our life and is not always comfortable. Secular mindfulness. You know, it's a good thing. People have been practicing it for years. It's really helpful. It helps huge numbers of people in prison, in hospital, people who are dying, and just regular people who just want to make life a little bit easier for themselves, just be a little bit nicer, a little bit less conflict in their life, and that's great. But it's not quite the same as practicing the Dharma. And this is what the scriptures of Brahma's net has to say about mindfulness. It's a little different. When a disciple of the Buddha commits his heart to mindfulness, he practices mindfulness. He is constantly awake to the six thoughts which dwell upon Buddha, Sangha, Dharma, the precepts, almsgiving, and the ultimate heaven-like joy of Buddhahood. So he always gives the supreme truth as his alms. He is not attached to emptiness or free from it. We live right in this world, you know. We're not free from thoughts of emptiness, real emptiness. I don't know. It's bigger than we can fathom. The phases of birth, abiding and perishing are unmoving, neither coming nor going. And at the same time, depending on his karma, 
His offering of merit to any being, world or cosmos, penetrates to the very wisdom of ultimate reality. What does this mean? We can't fathom it out. But wait. This is getting to be a little longer, but stay with it. His discerning wisdom, having discerned discerning wisdom with capitals, he, bit by bit, conveys all beings to tranquility and freedom from defiling passions by whatever vehicle. The tongues of fire blazing up are impermanent. The sparkling, brilliant light is the unborn. The birth of the unborn does not arise. Turning and shifting is the path to emptiness, transforming what went before, transforming what comes after, transforming, ever transforming, shifting and changing, changing and changing, turning and shifting, transforming all at the same time and in the same place, the blazing tongues of fire, the one in all, being born and perishing, existing simultaneously at each instant, the already transformed and the not yet transformed, transform, ever becoming. The experience of each single sensation is like this. What can I say about that? That's what it says about mindfulness. It's like this. So, just thought I'd mention that. Because (laughs) it's so big. But we don't want to be intimidated by all of this, thinking, oh, this is not for us, it's for those wise people over there, those saintly ones. But no, the scripture says, ordinary people, as well as saintly ones, are quite capable of doing this, so we're not off the hook. We can do it, we can practice the way, and however, whatever way we can, we can do it. We're not um, cut out, cut off. It's for us, it's for us, for all of us. We can meditate, we can practice kindness, we can offer merit. And another thing is scripture talks endlessly, or a lot, in all, all through it, about the unreality of the selfish self. That actually this little self is not the real thing. We don't have to be constantly trying to fix it or make it happy. We can let go of that. And of course, in that letting go is the secret of relinquishing suffering and realizing the truth. And it's right there within this long text, right there, constantly coming back, no selfishness, no self. There is no self. There's emptiness, there's ultimate reality. The things that we see are not the reality. And we still have to deal with them. We still have to work with things. We still have to live our life, deal with our relationships, our job, our things, our house, make lunch. We have to do all that stuff. And yet, it all takes place within something a whole lot bigger. So we don't cut ourselves off from the world thinking, oh, here I am, I'll dwell in the bigger thing. We still have to walk the dog and, you know, deal with our, the things of our lives because they're exactly within one. They're all part of the same thing. They're not cutting ourselves off from something and we're not um, trying to get to something else. It's right here, right now. And it's so helpful to remember the bigger picture, to remember it's not just a little thing to make me feel a bit better. It's much bigger than that. All these things we do, we already do. We're already trying to practice unselfishness. We're already trying to meditate, to keep to the precepts. We're not waiting for wisdom to fall upon us out of the sky. We're practicing it right now in our daily life, in these little moments, these little things when we're kind to somebody, when we're a little restrained, when you'd like to say something irritated. When we just take a minute to spend time with someone, even when we think we're in a hurry, just to take a moment. I, can, I have time for this. To talk to someone, to connect with people, 
to take care with the things of our lives. Putting it all into practice. As I said, the Dharma is only of use when you put it into practice. Otherwise, it's just a nice thing we think about. She gave us the whole thing, Buddhism with a big B. She wasn't interested in just making life comfortable. She didn't make life comfortable for us. It could be really awkward. And those of us who trained with her knew it was not comfortable. She would push us beyond what we thought we could do, push us beyond what we thought was reasonable, you know. And we're endlessly grateful to her for that, that she pushed us beyond comfort, beyond what we thought we could do, beyond what we thought we could understand. And it, it helped us to grow good, strong roots of faith, to know that we could do it and that we could train in the midst of all conditions, sometimes really difficult. Somebody said of her, um, she wouldn't take away your burden, she would make it so heavy you had to put it down. (laughs) She could do that. (laughs) And she had us train in the small details of life, you know, to take care with things, to make do and mend, not to just chuck something out because it it was... Broken? Can you fix it? Can you mend it? Can you repair it? You know, not wasting things, keeping to the rules and the precepts in, in little ways. Sometimes you, you call on you. Know, what, what are you saying there? That's not very perceptual. You know? All within the bigger picture. She never lost sight of that, as we know. She would always come back to that. Her writings, as we as we know, you know, um, show that. She always had that larger view, deeper and wider and more far-seeing than any of us. And now you look back and you think, thank you, thank you, you know, how much she gave us. She, she's one of the Dopodisattvas. We bow to her. When you bow to her, Belagateshvara during a ceremony, we bow to her. And you don't want to lose that bigger view that she gave us. It's so precious and it's so easy to lose sight of it in this fleeting, busy difficult world to lose sight of that bigger picture but everything we do everything we practice takes place within that never to forget that never to lose sight of that the the greater thing always to come back to that not smalling the Dharma down to our little comfort level you know oh just make it a little little. no we want to have it big let it be big we have this big hall big altar we just had a Kanzion ceremony it's Kanzion's everywhere. Avalokiteshvara in all places. Pictures everywhere. Look at this altar. It's beautiful. All groaning with Kanzions. And that lovely thousand-armed Kanzion at the back. A thousand arms and a thousand eyes just to help beings in all places. It's big. And you know what I really like? is seeing the reclining Buddha behind all these Kanzions, smiling. He's lying there. He's reclining. And he's smiling at us. I really like him. So it's all big, great compassion, you know, much bigger than we are. So let it be big. Always let it be big. Our tradition is big and it's deep and it's wonderful. Let us hold true to that. Coming back, keeping true to the source, as Rabbi Master would put it. So our hearts and minds can be big as well. Heart big, mind big, everything big. To open up to the great matter for which we train. That's our talk for the day. Thank you.